Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ryan Wheeler with this edition of the Believe in Blazers podcast. We are on the eve, as we record this, of the start of the opening round best of seven series between the Blazers and the Nuggets. Game one on Saturday night in Denver. And here to preview the series with us is the longtime voice of the Nuggets. He's in his 12th season in that capacity, but his 30th overall with Cronky Sports Enterprises. Speaking, of course, of our friend Jason Kosmiski. Kos, how are you, sir? Good. Wheels, good to see you again, man. I kind of missed you around the arenas throughout the uh, – well, I guess I don't even go to arenas anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> it's good seeing you again. It's good seeing you. Good talking with you as well. Uh, our Believe in Blazers podcast is brought to you by – Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Kaz, let's uh, get to it. The Nuggets finished the regular season at 47 and 25. They'll be the third seed in the Western Conference playoffs. As we said, hosting the Blazers. The opening round best of seven, which starts tomorrow night as we record this. First of all, um, how would you recap the way that things went in the regular season for the Nuggets? Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. You lose your second best player and you think everything's going to, you know, die down and, you know, we'll be, are we even going to make it, you know? And, uh, you know, so I, I, I tip my hat to the coaching staff and to the resiliency of the players that, they, they've been able to fight. They've been able to hang on and, and make a little bit of noise, but um, it's going to be interesting moving forward, Wheels. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Jamal Murray going down, and there was some talk that uh, might be uh, dire straits for the Nuggets, but they stayed uh, stayed in the mix very seriously. And I know the answer to this question would have been yes before Murray's injury, but uh, do you feel even after it's happened that uh, with everybody regrouping and having time now to get used to playing without him, are they still serious playoff contenders as the postseason begins? Well, I mean, my heart's going to tell you yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, man, at, at some point, Wheels, you, you got to be a realist. I mean, you know, just go right down the line. What, what, what could Portland do without CJ? You know, what could the Lakers do without Anthony Davis? What could the Phoenix Suns do without Devin Booker or Chris Paul? Um, I think the only team that could survive a hit like that, and just because they're in the East, might be Brooklyn. I mean, you might be able to survive if you're missing either Kyrie, James Harden, or Kevin Durant. But at the end of the day, this is a talent league. And, um, you know, I, I know one thing that, you know, they're going to be prepared as, as good as anybody's going to be prepared. Um, and, you know, they're going to be – they're going to be ready and all that stuff. But, you know, when, when you're relying on dudes that aren't supposed to be there to, to do things, it, it gets a little tougher. They'll definitely be relying on Nikola Jokic, who has always been one of the best centers around, but this season took things up a notch uh, in what should lead to him being named the league's MVP. And he even took things up a notch even further after Murray got hurt. Uh, where did you see him this season become an even more dominant player? You know what it is with him, Wheels, and I, you know, I get this question a lot. It's like, you know, people talk about his passing ability and, and his shooting and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I think at the end of the day, he just has court vision. And, and you know, when we were younger, that kind of wasn't a thing. Like, um, but he just understands the game so well. His basketball IQ, I, I've never seen an – and I've seen this a lot in, in college and, 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 and the NFL in, in football – 
but I've never seen a guy in the NBA throw guys open. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw it to where you're supposed to be. And if you're not there, that's on you, man. That ain't on me. And um, it's not just about the assist. It, just as basketball IQ is, is out the roof. And it's, a, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to get to watch him play, you know, every game that he plays. And um, he's unorthodox. I mean, he's a goofy kind of a gangle. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't play above the rim or anything like that. Uh, so he's, he's an odd NBA basketball player. Uh, but he's doing it in his own way, and, you know, he's doing it well. A guy that uh, does play above the rim certainly at times, Michael Porter, really has had a breakout season, and it still seems like he's only lightly tapping his vast potential. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, somebody once told me after that draft, it's interesting, people probably don't remember, but, um, you know, he only played three games at Missouri, and before that he was an AAU kid. And you and I have been around long enough to – like, oh, great. Here comes an AAU guy, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you throw the ball to them when they're six years old. You just say, go do whatever the hell you want to do, you know. Um, so I, I give a lot of credit to Mike Porter Jr. He only played three games in college. And it was interesting because one of the scouts told me. You know, a back injury is one thing, but when you throw in spinal injury, that freaks a lot of dudes out, you know, and I get that. I totally get that. And so when we're watching the draft, um, they said, or some people said that he would have been without question, had he been healthy, the number one overall pick in that draft for Michael Porter Jr. And then, so you understand the teams that draft ahead of you. I mean, you're like, man, I'm not risking a first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you know, overall pick on a spinal injury. Um, and then I'm, then I start thinking, well, who's going to be the first one to roll the dice here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it, it was it's kind of, and I'm like, dude, he just fell to 10. He just fell to 11. He just fell to 12. I'm like, we could pop, probably get, I mean, it's not often you get a number one quote unquote overall pick, you know, on the 14 spot, you know, and the Nuggets did the right thing. They, they, um, they sat him out for an entire year. And, and, and this is why I give credit to Michael is, he lost that sense of entitlement. Like what? I'm not the best player. You know what, what's going on around here? You know, he, he understood. And, and in Michael Malone's, you know, system, if you don't play defense, you're probably not going to see a lot of time. He learned that out real quick. Now you don't have to be the world's greatest defender, but you have to be in the right spots. You have to understand defensive concepts. And he embraced all that. He worked his tail off. And, you know, now he's having, you know, just a breakout year. It's, it's, he, he's, dude, he's good, man. That, that guy's going to be good. Do they believe the back trouble is a thing in the past that it should not ever resurface? Uh, I, I think that's in the back. It's kind of like, remember when Steph Curry had a blown ankle? Like yeah, first, almost every other week. It seem like yeah, it right. So I think that's like in the back of everybody's mind. But it's one of those things that you don't want to bring up. You know, it's like, hey, Mike, how's your spine doing? You know, I mean, you, <laughs> you don't want to jinx it by asking him. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Well, he certainly, he certainly doesn't, doesn't play as if he's uh, favoring anything. That's for sure. I mean, it looks like he's, he's a great athlete. And certainly, yeah. you know, as we say, uh, just, just finding out how good he can really be on the court. Now, at the trade deadline, I thought you guys made a terrific deal. Uh, Aaron Gordon, who was available from the Magic. Uh, how has he helped the cause uh, since being acquired? 
Yeah, you know what? Wills, he needs to be a little bit better offensively. I, I think it's one of those deals like, you know, when you go to a new team and you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to take too many shots. Am I taking the right shots? Should I pass it to that dude? You know, all, all that stuff. So uh, if he gets a little bit more aggressive offensively uh, on the offensive side, he, he, he's going to be, he's going to be really good. But the one thing I like about him on the defensive side, now you remember you, you traded Gary Harris and RJ Hampton and I, you know, RJ's at the end of the year starting for Orlando, you know, and he really hardly, hardly came off the bench for Denver, but you know, yeah, you, you always got to give something to get something. But what I love about Aaron Gordon is that if you ever want to switch on the defensive end, that's fine. Like the first game I think he played for us was against Atlanta and he's switching the, so they, they would run a, you know, Trey young and the small forward and John Collins, they would run a pick and roll and Aaron Gordon had no problem switching on Trey young does not care. I mean, he, you know, so defensively he's going to be, you know, I don't know how much defense is left in the NBA, but um, defensively he, he's fine. He's solid. He, he's a rock. I, I just would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end. Now I was on Scott Hastings uh, radio program earlier today. Scott, of course, for those who don't know, one of uh, Kaz's broadcast partners with the Nuggets, I told him that we were going to be doing this podcast. And uh, so I asked him if there was anything about you that I didn't already know that I should bring up. <laughs> and he mentioned that you are a big foodie, which I wasn't, I, totally, I was not totally aware of that. Uh, yeah. He suggested that I ask you to talk about your favorite restaurant or restaurants in Portland when you uh, do have the chance to visit. Holy cow, this should be a whole nother podcast, man, because I'll tell you what, Portland is coming up as one of the greatest food scenes in America. They really are. Um, you know, uh, a show that I watch dearly is Top Chef, and, mm -hmm. and they're filming that in, in uh, Portland right now. And, uh, you know, just at our hotel at the Nines, at the very top level, it's the yeah. flight deck or departure, whatever it's called. Departure, yeah. Yeah, Chef Gregory. I don't know if he got first or second in Top Chef like three years ago, um, but but he's on that. Uh, he, he that's his restaurant, and so you can go up there and get a great meal. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Lawless Barbecue is unbelievable. Um, El Pion is unbelievable. They have a pancake house that's unbelievable. Then I know a lot about Portland. You uh, do. You I, do. <laughs> actually, my favorite thing to do, Wheels, is. I like to go have just like, um, you know, appetite, you know, a little sampling, uh, you know, from the food trucks. And then, uh, you know, you just get, you, you get a $5 dish here, a $6 dish there. You taste everybody's cuisine. Because I, I really, they have a new one there, or at least they did the last time I was in Portland, that uh, two dudes from, or a husband and wife team actually from New Orleans moved up there. And uh, so they have a great food truck on that scene. They make great gumbo and and etouffee and jambalaya and then when you're done with all that then you go across the street to hubert's and then you get yourself a spanish coffee mm -hmm. you know and that's always fun and then uh you know you go back man i, man, I love portland I, I envy you for living there. that's a great spot <laughs> to be in. i usually take uh if, if somebody comes to town and they haven't been here and they want to try something that's uniquely portland i i i, I, I the old standby for me is always uh Jake's uh, old time, uh, you know, chowder house uh, because. It's oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a great one, too. And a great, because great you, seafood. You know, it's in the Pacific, slow and fresh every day. So absolutely. And, and you're, you know, you're in the you're in the Pacific Northwest. So you get all the you know, you get, you, you know, you get all the great free uh, the, the, the seafood. Rose, a good place. That's another good uh, seafood place. Canards out there, you know, and, and I'm saying all this stuff, but 
I don't know if any of these places are open anymore. That's the problem. Yeah, and, you know and, and, I mean? and, and a lot of them, a lot of the restaurants, of course, everywhere have struggled to stay open because I think nobody knew when the pandemic started how long everything was going to last. And uh, right, and so there was the assumption that maybe it wouldn't be too long. And now places are, are having to go and and the and the hock to kind of just keep keep open in some cases, which is really sad because, as you say, a lot of these uh, establishments have been around for a while and have had great followings. And uh, it's sad to see if uh, some of them have to go because of just uh, something totally out of their control. So it, it is. Right. And, and I'm not positive. All the places you mentioned, I'm not sure what the situation is. And uh, a lot of them have gone through the ups and downs of being open for a while. And then all of a sudden there's too many cases being reported. So now we got to shut back down again. And so it's a, it's very tough to, I don't envy anybody trying to run a business, especially a well, restaurant uh, these days. Well, re- restaurants too, because like you, you feel blessed when whoever, whoever powers may be like, Hey, we'll let you let 50% of the people in. Now what kind of business in America, <laughs> you know, Hey, you get half your business. There you go. Have a good day. You know I mean? It's yeah. just tough, man. So I still, so I, I try and do it. I, I don't try and do it. I do it here. You know, I'm, 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 I'm on the d- delivery stuff all the time. I'm like, man, this is one of my, you know, yeah. Okay. So it's 15 bucks to get delivered, but you know, maybe this family gets to keep, keep a hold of their brick and mortar restaurant for another week or whatever, but exactly. yeah, it's tough, man. I, but of course everything is so. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you haven't had a chance to visit Portland or any other NBA city uh, because, uh, Everyone's dealing with the pandemic and um, broadcast crews are not are not traveling. Uh, how has that affected the way that you've called games? Well, it's, it's that's a good question, because I was I just did an interview with Vic Lombardi on Altitude Television. And he's like, how's it calling these games off of a monitor? I go, you know, what's funny is, is my dad back in the day said. Once you get off your can and go do something. You think somebody's going to pay you for the rest of your life to watch TV? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Dad, I mean, if you only knew. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, it, you know, it's weird that, you know, it, it's not the same, man. It's not, it's not even close. I mean, the, you know, they give you all the different camera angles, um, but you're handcuffed so many times. It's like, you know, you're a... So it's, it's the hometown feed that you get, right? So let's say the Nuggets are playing Portland. And there's an iffy call on Portland. I'm not seeing that replay. I, I, I will never get it, you know. Um, and, 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 and I'm not just saying that for Portland. You know, I'm sure that Denver does it the same way the other way. But then they, you know, they go to hero shots and dudes on the bench. And, you know, all these guys are, like, talking about something. Meanwhile, there's a game going on, you know. So I'm like. Well, there's a pretty good shot of Jamal Murray and his knee brace on the bench. I mean, what you, you, it's, it's just not, it's, it's not the same. And, you know, I hope if it, you know, when it does get back to normal um, for whatever, for all of the organizations that are in the NBA, the people that make the decisions upstairs understand that there's a value in being at the game because you're paying me to tell you what I see. And right now, I see what a cameraman named Jim wants me to see. You know what I mean? So right. it's it's a squirrely thing, which we try and do the best we can, but it, it's not the same. I always say that, uh, you know, the, the word, the the old statement is that things uh, become cyclical. And I find it amusing that, as you know, as you kind of hinted at, here we are back to, you know, when we were kids or just growing up, uh, you know, and we thought maybe we might want to be broadcasting. You turn it on the sound on your TV and calling the games off of the TV. Right. Here we are essentially doing the same thing. Right. Exactly. Somehow it's come full circle again. And we're back to doing 
games in the in the most archaic way that we that we ever did as, as, right. as kids before we ever became broadcasters. So very weird, very weird. No, it, and, and you're right. We, I mean, we all did that. All of us that are, I think, at this level. I mean, yeah, you had a little black and white thing, and this is before you know internet. So you can't print out rosters. You have no stats. Right. You know, <laughs> and you know, you, you go back to the Johnny Most years of like. Harry guy throws it over to the sweaty guy back over to number 17. <laughs> That's about it. You're right. You're right. Well, now, uh, having to adapt to calling games, uh, you know, not live and up close for all of them, I'm sure has been a challenge. As you say, that also has meant that you haven't been as close to the officials. And I know that over the years you've been a great admirer of their work. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> tell me, uh, what your connection in the past was with Tim Donahue, the NBA referee that of course went to jail for, trying to fix the outcome of games was uh, was described as a rogue referee by David Stern uh, when uh, all of his uh, transgressions were made public. But uh, you have a little uh, tie-in, little uh, story to tell about your past with Donnie that I'm not sure everybody's aware of. <laughs> this, is a, this is a good one, man. I should start charging for this interview. You should, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why wasn't I in his book? No, I'm just kidding. But, exactly. Um, <laughs> I can't remember who we were playing. And this is back, uh, you know, at the old Pepsi center wheels when we used to get sit, we used to sit courtside. I, I wish I remembered the opponent, but I can't. And I, I, and I just remember watching him officiate this game. And I'm just thinking to myself, there, there's no way in hell. This, this is not legit. You know, what I tell people is maybe it takes one degenerate gambler to recognize another. <laughs> and so we get to halftime and I, I'm just so mad. And uh, he's standing at center court, like the referees always do at halftime. And, uh, you know, they let, they let the teams go off the thing. And, and then, then they go later and somehow him and I made eye contact. And I just looked at him with my headset on and I, I just was shaking my head. I was just like, and I think this is where I was just shaking my head back and forth, just eyeing him down. And I'm not going to lose the stare contest. It's like, I see your cat, you know, it's like you, you get to stare down with a cat. You, 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 you're going to win that. Thing, right, you know? right. And so um, I think this is where it sat in that he knew that I knew what was going on and he uh. panicked and he panicked. Never, I never said one word. So this was before my lap band surgery. So I was way bigger back then. I was like, I don't know, 346 pounds or whatever. And he comes running. Or he, he takes like, I want to say six strides, like walking. And he comes over to the scores table. And he looks me dead score in the eye. And he goes, and he pounds on the table. He goes, boom. You got something to say, fat man? You got oh. something to say, fat man? And he comes at me like that. And that, again, never said one word. And uh, after he gets done with his little diatribe, he leaves. And like five minutes later, uh, our media, our assistant media relations director and a Denver police officer come over. And I'm, I'm friends with them both. And he's like, you? He's talking about you? And I'm, you know, I'm like, I, I go, I guess, man, I, I never said a word. I promise my producer can play this thing back for you. I wish he would have recorded it, but he didn't because who records dead air at halftime. And, uh, and so Bobby Simmons, who was the police officer at the time goes, 
Well, guys, I have to officially warn you that if you have uh, one more outburst with the referees, that you're going to be ejected from this basketball game. And, and that's my Tim Donahue story. So you I could have been Mike Rice. You could have been Mike Rice. Well, I'm telling you, man, I, I was the first guy in America that knew what was up with that guy. I wow. promise you. And he obviously had a guilty conscience that, that, that he well, sensed yeah. that you knew. He sensed yeah. that you knew. Yeah. Wow. And and you never said even when he even when he came over to the table, you still never said it. Never said one word. I, wow. I thought about saying, why don't you try and do your job and I'll do mine? But I, <laughs> I didn't want to poke the bear at the time. You know, yeah. <laughs> it kind of surprised me a little bit that he came over like that. But Ooh. Now, yeah. Steve Javi, when he threw Rice out, he uh, he said to him because Rice gave him the uh, he looked at a replay of a technical that he had called on Clyde Drexler and Rice gave him kind of the wave off. And uh, that was the week that Javi had ejected um, Robin Ficker, the crazy fan behind the bench, visitors bench in Washington. Uh, he had ejected a mascot. So he was on a roll that week and he went over to rice <laughs> and, uh, and he said, he said, look, he said, uh, why don't you do your piddly little job and let me worry about mine. And rice actually did talk back to him and said, look, he goes, you got to get away from here because if people start throwing things, I don't want them to hit me by accident. And, <laughs> and that's when he said, you're I out. At that point. That's what I should have said. <laughs> but at the time you're thinking, I can't believe he's actually saying something to me. I mean, it's not like you, not like you're a coach or player expect the exchange. So I got to understand why you, why you're, you know, you're, you're astonished that the guy is, you know, is doing that. I, 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 I did that. I did that a couple of times officials with you do the, the you know, it's, it's being raised in Catholic school and doing the, the Catholic guilt thing of just, you know, shaking your head, just like, you know, just yeah, hoping that they'll get, they'll I, get I the was, message. I was a Catholic, I was a Catholic yeah. school kid too. Yeah. So that's why it's, that's, that's why, that's why we do it. It's like, you know, we'll figure, we'll figure that they, 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 they will be upset that, that we know that they did wrong, but uh, they, they don't usually respond that way, unfortunately, but that's a great story. That's a great yeah. story. Oh, but and if you saw and Tim then, Donnie and then, today. And by, and by the way, when they finally came out with the whole thing, I'm like, mm -hmm. Hey, Text a brother. I could have told, told you that. that. <laughs> I wonder if you saw him today. If he would have said, see, I knew, man. I knew. I knew before everybody else. You should have known that your secret was coming out. It wasn't so secret anymore. Oh, that's too funny. That's too funny. Uh, now, the uh, Blazers upset the Nuggets in seven games in a playoff series just two years ago. Is that, can you tell, any motivation for the Nuggets as they prepare for this series? I know some of the names have changed, but is that any motivation at all? You know, think I, I, I think Wheels. It, it was last year because, um, you know, when, when the Blazers knocked them out in Game Seven, you know, Denver's still a young team. I think at the time they're like, I don't know, the eighth youngest team in the NBA or whatever. Um, but they've been together for a long time. Their one strength has been their continuity. You know, you can bring in, you know, all these names and Davis and Durant going places and Paul going places and Harden going. You know, their one strength has been that they've pretty much been together um, for over five years now. And that's, you know, that's a damn rare thing in the NBA. And I think as a group, they got, I, I don't know if they talked about it. I mean, we'll never know. But I think they understood that they don't want that feeling anymore. They don't want that feeling of losing game seven on the home wood and you're going home and watching TV for the rest of the rest of the playoffs. So I think that helped them last year. Um, and, and, you know, maybe we'll get some some emotions going um, because it's Portland. You see the team colors and, and they pretty much have the same same dudes as well. Um, you know, but, it, you know, as far as I, I don't know if that happens anymore in the NBA to where, you know, that that's like high school and college. Like, dude, we're not 
we're not losing to these kids. You know, I, 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 I don't know if that's a thing anymore in the NBA or professional sports, but we'll, I guess we'll find out. I remember uh, after, um, after the Nuggets beat the uh, Sonics in that, in that dramatic mm-hmm. game, game five, when they were the number eight seed, the next year, uh, George Carl, the first time the teams played again, tried to really motivate, uh, you know, the Sonics to go out and beat the Nuggets and so forth. And Sam Perkins, who, you know, was one of these guys that seemed like nothing ever bothered the guy. Uh, he actually stood up in the team meeting and said, are they going to give us a trophy if, uh, if we win this game tonight? And uh, just, just diffused everything George was trying to do about motivate. George is really old school and trying to motivate, do a football, you know, type rally. And uh, it, it went right. It, it was, it was diffused as soon as Sam Perkins just pretty much <laughs> shot it down that there's, there's no point in trying to get motivated by something that happened in the past. So uh, right, right. Now, now tell me what the arena situation is with the seating. Uh, how many folks are allowed, allowed in uh, for, for the home games? Um, I, I believe, now I've heard a couple of different stories on this. So at the end uh, in Denver, at the end of last year, it was 4,500 people allowed in the building. Um, but that counted ushers and vendors and all of that. Now, I heard that they were going to up that, uh, you know, whenever, you know, the governor blesses us with whatever he wants to do. Um, I think he's going to up that to a little over 7,000, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's official or not. But, you know, in, in an arena that holds, you know, like 19,000, whatever, you know, you, don't, you get a third of them. You know, so, I mean, it's going to be, it's just, it's just different, man. It's, and this is what I, let me ask you this wheels. Is there a home court advantage in the NBA playoffs? That's a great point. And I think, uh, I think, you know, certainly not in the traditional way. There's definitely not. Right. I mean, here in Portland, uh, I think the Blazers were the last team in the league that was given permission to actually sell some tickets uh, to regular fans. And they, the governor here consented to 10% of capacity and they're hoping to get that up before uh, game three, uh, but nothing has been announced yet. So that tells me that maybe it's not happening as fast as they would like it to be. But uh, so that means that a 19,000 seat building and 1900 people. Now the team was ecstatic to have that many because basically, you know, the team even said we, they, they had a better road record than home record. And they said, part of that was that at least on the road, there was some atmosphere, even if it was rooting against us and we come home and the building be so quiet, be like almost right. going and right. having a game at the practice facility. So, so I think they definitely felt it. And even some folks were better than none, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, considering that there's very few, uh, few places that have anything close to normal capacity, I, I think home court, I think that's probably why more road teams probably have won this year that the, the home court advantage has not been uh, the, the way it traditionally is. So I'll be curious yeah. to see how that manifests itself in the playoffs. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I can't, I can't remember, but it, the, I think this is one of the better road records the Nuggets have ever had. You know what I mean? And it, it kills me how it's different in like every, every city. Like I remember this was like over a month ago, Nuggets were playing at Memphis and not only do they have fans, they got courtside people kicking it. Yeah. It's so yeah. like a, a, a loose ball comes to a fan courtside and he picks up the ball and throws it to the ref and they go right back to playing again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, what are we doing? Are, are, are we on this train? Are we not on this train? What's going on around here? Yeah. I, it, 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 you do sometimes wonder if rules are different for some people versus others, but uh, all right, I'll leave you with this last question. Uh, give me the biggest key or keys to a Nuggets uh, victory in the series. Well, I think for me, the biggest key wheels is, is uh, for, for Denver is their, their bench scoring. 
they've been hit or miss. When 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 they out rebound an opponent, they win like eighty percent of the time. And when their bench doesn't necessarily have to beat the opposing bench, I mean, I think I think the Nuggets are going to be they're going to hold their own, you know, with CJ and Damian, and, and you know, their starting five is fine. But when you play a deep team, um, and you know, you're missing Jamal Murray and Will Barton, and for a while there, Monte Morris and Aaron Gordon, you can go right down the list. Um, you can still fill those gaps in with other starters and you're fine. But what that eventually does, it depletes your bench. And what scares me is, you know, what if you have to rely on guys that you've never heard of, like, you know, Zeke Naji and Marcus Howard, you know, and, you know, and, and I think if Denver's bench can hold their own with Portland, they'll be okay. But at the end of the day, I trust Vegas. They got the nuggets minus one. <laughs> in game number one at home. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know, let's go through seven overtimes again. That'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I expect it to be a competitive series. I expect it to be a long series. And if it's anything like it was two years ago, that would be a fun series to go through again with uh, as much as those uh, teams offered uh, two years ago. So uh, we'll we'll see. could be a carbon copy, but cause thank you so much for the visit and uh, for uh, being with us on a, on a last day of preparation for you, but, uh, I hope it's a terrific uh, series for you on the broadcast front and uh, always great to break bread with you and uh, hope that we can uh, do it in person sometime soon. And now that I know that you're a foodie in Portland, then uh, we'll have to definitely do it when, when you get to town again. For sure. And then wheels, I need your permission on something. Yes, sir. I want to use the boom chakalaka call. Absolutely. In this series. Absolutely. But every time I do it, I'm going to give a shout out to you, my friend. Well, that's, that's, that's unnecessary, but if you want to do that, that's fine. But, I, I have no patent on it, so so feel free to okay. feel free to do it. Feel free to oh, do well, it. I, well, I better get on the phone and start patenting this thing. <laughs> Actually, I tried. I tried to once, and there's a there's like a guy who uh, developed a a uh, portable basket that, that you could use on you like in the home, and it's somehow it's it's close to that, so it was too close for uh, for a patent to be allowed. Oh, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it, 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 I, I looked at that one time, but it was uh, it was not not available. So, but uh, but but feel free, and if, and if you. If you throw my name out there, that, that's, that's, that's kind of you to do so. But, uh, uh, but I'm sure there'll be exciting broadcasts, as they always are, uh, when, uh, when you're involved. So I hope you have a great series to call, and, and hopefully we can do this again soon. Okay, Wheels, let's just get the referees on board. There we go. We always want to do that. <laughs> we always want to do that. Jason Kosminski, the radio voice of the Denver Nuggets, joining us on this edition of the Believe in Blazers podcast. Uh, we will talk to you again on Monday. We'll certainly recap game one and get you ready for the rest of the series. And game one, of course, is coming up on Saturday night. I'm Brian Wheeler. Have a terrific rest of this Friday and a great weekend ahead. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.